Thank you, Roger, and thank you, Beth. Um, I, I say it, I don't say it enough, though, that we are so blessed with so many people, with so many talents that, that are willing to serve, and, uh, you know, it just, uh, it's a position that a lot of churches don't find themselves in, um, and we, we need to uh, thank God every day uh, for who we are as a body. God knows exactly what we need, and he knows exactly what he's doing, amen? All right. And I got you all over here, and I've got you all over here, and I got Ralph and Iris right here. Ed and Carol, you got to pull a lot of weight, all right? You know, uh, I think we've got a lot of people sick. There's, uh, I think there's things going around, flu and different things. Um, I guess that's where everyone is. I think the deacons are still going back there, but um, anyway, uh, we'll we'll go on anyway. But y'all make it very hard. To make eye contact. And do you know that? You mean come down there? Oh. <laughs> uh, well, we, we'll save that. First John. Turn to First John chapter 3. First John chapter 3. And uh, we'll look tonight at verses 16 through 18. Monday is Valentine's Day. And uh, it's when people go crazy. Um, husbands go crazy because they have waited to the last minute, you know, uh, teenagers go crazy, um, begging their parents to give them money to spend on things for someone that they won't be in a relationship with. Chances are next week, you know, and love has become in our, in our world, in our language, something that's really um, trite in a lot of ways. Uh, we talk about that we we love pepperoni pizza. We love the car that we drive. We love the area of the country that we live in. But the reality is those things fall very short of what true love is. Tonight I want us to come to a passage that explains to us love itself and how we know love. And this is in the providence of God because we've simply been walking through 1 John together. But let's look at it. 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse, beginning in verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. For if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. God, tonight I pray that as we open your word, God, that you would show it to us very plain and clear. God, that you would call us to act on what it instructs us toward. And God, that we would embrace it as truth because your word is truth. God, that we would gain a bigger understanding of who you are and particularly the love that we have received and that we are to show because you have first loved us. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. Um, It starts out tonight with this very just simple phrase, these five words at, at the beginning, by this we know love. Um, 
Len and I met in college, and um, it was one of those things where uh, I kind of had a clue that, that she sort of liked me before she knew that I knew that she liked me, and uh, because we had a mutual friend. And uh, I came in, I, I took two years off of high school before I started college, and uh, she was already there. We're, we're basically the same age. We're just a little over a month apart from each other age-wise. But uh, she was a junior when I came in as a freshman. And I remember walking in one day to, uh, I, was in a, I was in a college choir. I was in uh, the Cumberland Singers. And uh, it was a choir for non-music majors, non-music minors, people that just liked to sing and just were in the choir. And it was, you got credit for it. So I walk into the choir and lo and behold, I'm in there and I'm cutting up with everybody and everybody's having a good time. The instructor's up at the front trying to hold our attention. And then the pianist walks in. And my attention was on her for the rest of the semester. And I heard from a friend that she kind of knew about me. And I had already noticed her. And so one day in the cafeteria at Cumberland College in Williamsburg, Kentucky, I saw her from across the room, and there, was she, there she was sitting with all her upperclassmen friends. Well, I waited until the guy that was sitting next to her got up to, took, to take his tray. When he got up to take his tray, I just swooped in. And I just sat down, and it just we, we began to talk. And now, um, we've been married now for 15 years, going on 16 years, which is nothing I know. We're still newlyweds. But uh, through that and through the years, that's how I know love with my wife, because we've done life together. The Bible speaks of love, though, the love that we know of God very differently. By this, we know love. By this, we know love. The world offers a lot of things that they call love, and, but, but I want you to know just in hearing that statement, my mind is immediately taken to the fact that everything else that the world offers and calls love is a cheap imitation. By this, we know love. By what? What is this? Well, that he laid down his life for us. But it says there in verse 16, that he laid down his life for us. Well, you can't help but think of Christ laying down his life without thinking back to Philippians chapter 2. And there was a line actually in the, the hymn that we just sang a minute ago, the old rugged cross, that talked about the Lamb of God leaving his glory behind to come where we were. Look, turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 2. And I, I want to show you what this love looks like that Christ laid down his life for us. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5. Scripture says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, Taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now I want to take a little jaunt away from 1 John to Philippians 2 and I want to walk through this passage and show you why we know love. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. What was involved in his laying down his life for us? Well, number one, the Bible here in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that we should have this mind in us. Which means that not only is it possible to follow the example, but Jesus has given us an example. We should have this mind in us because he has shown us what it looks like. He's also given us the ability. Number two, in verse six, though he was in the form of God, the word form there is a word, it's morphe, and it means that Christ was preexistent. And he was in the form of God, that he existed prior to Bethlehem. And it wasn't like Jesus just all of a sudden came into being in Bethlehem, but he is the one who had spent all of eternity. He's the one that was involved in the conversation in Genesis 1, where God says, let us make man in our image. He's there. He is the pre-existent God. In every way, he is God. Now, we can't get our minds around that because all we know of people with skin on is that they're, while some may be godly, they're not God. We, we look around and we know each other and we see each other's sins and faults and shortcomings, but I want you to try to think about the fact that Jesus Christ was God, is God. He was in the form of God. And then look what it says in continuing in verse 6. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What it means is this. is That Christ in eternity, there in the Trinity, even though he is in every way equal to God, he did not consider his equality with God something to be clutched to, something to be held on to. He didn't hold it back from you and I. Instead, it goes on and it says, but he made himself nothing. The word nothing there is, uh, is a word that means empty. The kenosis of Christ means that he self-emptied himself. That he is the one who didn't consider equality with God something to be hoarded or held on to, but that he emptied himself and made himself nothing. Now, does that mean that when Christ took on flesh and was born into a manger in Bethlehem, does it mean when it says he made himself nothing, that he ceased to be God? No. What it means is that his divine prerogatives, his rights as a member of the Trinity... His rights as God, no one could take those away from him. Satan had tried to usurp the throne of God, but Satan was cast out. No one could take it from him, but he willingly emptied himself of those divine rights. 
He never stopped in his humanity. He never ceased to be God. He never, he, he, he never emptied himself fully of his omniscience or his omnipotence, but he wrapped himself in flesh. And he controlled those divine prerogatives. He laid them down for you and I. It goes on and it says that he took on the form of a servant. Took on the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Um, It's always an amazing thought to me to think about God becoming a man. God who spoke and created everything that you and I know. Who took the dirt of the ground, formed it into a man, breathed life into him put him to sleep, took a rib from his side, made Eve as a partner for him, that that same God condescended to us and took on flesh. Now, I realize that, uh, that I, I'm not very old, but the older I get, the more I realize that these bodies are weak. Um, I look in the mirror and I talk about our, me and Lana meeting in college. When we met in college... Uh, I was six foot three and 185 pounds, and uh, today I'm six foot three, and I'm not telling you. <laughs> I look in the mirror nowadays, and and uh, and I've got right here, I've got a little patch that is beginning to turn white, just on this little part, and then I've got some right here, Ralph. I'm catching up with you. I've got some right here that's beginning to turn white. I've got hair, a whole lot of hair back here that has turned loose. You know, I mean, the longer we go in life, the more aches and pains that we have. The more things we struggle with that we didn't used to struggle with. You go through life and and more than the physical uh, weaknesses of the body, you think about all of the emotional things that you and I go through. The the very fact that we live not only, um, and Jesus didn't didn't live with a sin nature, but he came to um, an environment that was very much tainted by sin. You think about Jesus subjecting himself to all of those things. That the one who was in the form of God, who was God himself, who was equal in every way, instead of clutching to that and hanging on to that and saying, forget them, they're the ones who've rebelled against me. Instead, he didn't consider it to be held on to, but instead, he laid aside his rights and took on our infirmity. He took on flesh. He took on our weakness. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Just back a little bit. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's a wonderful picture there that Jesus, who was rich, became poor so that you, who are poor, could become rich. I was talking back here before the service about uh, um, certain 
certain things are just not, there, there's, no, there's no market for them anymore because the economy has, has tanked and, and, you know, people are just not buying the same things they used to buy. We deal with people every single day. Amy, uh, in the office, on average, gets about 60 phone calls a month uh, for assistance to, that comes through wanting help with power bills and groceries and uh, various things. It's hard to make ends meet. The reality is, though, I don't know if you ever stopped to think about this, there was never a time when Christ, before creation, was in heaven, in the Trinity, wondering, scratching his head, how, how are we going to make it this month? I mean, I mean what, what am I going to eat? How, how am I going to afford clothes? What about shelter? He didn't have any of that. In fact, he had angels upon angels upon angels that were at his beck and call. The seraphim, the flaming ones, who with two wings would cover their face and two wings would cover their feet and with two they would fly at his beck and call to do anything that he requested them do, took on flesh where... When people wanted to follow after him, he said, you don't understand, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Think about that. What an amazing picture that Jesus has given us of love. He became poor so that you could become rich. And then it goes on and it says in Philippians chapter 2, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Romans chapter 5 verse 19. Romans five nineteen says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, talking about Adam, so, by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Because Jesus Christ came and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, you and I can be made righteous today. The crucifixion was, uh, was the most horrendous way to die in its day. Excruciating pain. You've probably heard people explain what would happen in the crucifixion, but uh, I won't go into all the details, but um, the, the spikes that were driven through the hands and the feet, what made them so painful really was because they were driven through a certain part of the body where the nerve ran that would cause excruciating pain. When the person hung there on the cross, uh, they really didn't die from bleeding. They died from suffocating. Their back had been whipped to the point with the, the uh, cat of nine tails where there was little meat left on it at all and ribs were exposed and you could see inside the body and the back was completely raw and the person would hang there on the cross and, and they would, over time, drop. And when they dropped, it would 
close off the lungs. It would lift the lungs and it would close off the lungs. And so in order for them to take a breath, they would have to take their their legs, their feet that were nailed there and their hands that had the nails through them and they would have to push up rubbing that raw, exposed back against that old rugged cross that we sing about. It would take a deep breath And then they would sink again, dragging that back all the way down. It was excruciating. Many times they would be there for hours. You know in the case of Jesus that they came around to break the legs of the criminals because they didn't want them there the next day. And when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. That's why they shoved the spear into his side. It was an excruciating way to die. It was designed to be excruciating. Not only was it excruciating, but it was publicly humiliating. I don't know if you've ever thought about the walk that Jesus took. That he took that cross on his back and they paraded them through, all through the town. You and I have had um, the passion plays and, and the the movies cleaned up somewhat. Most of the time when they were carrying that cross through the town, they were carrying it naked. Jesus, with that bloody back, crown of thorns on his head, mocked, ridiculed, beaten by the soldiers, then had that put on his back, and he was publicly humiliated as a criminal, walking naked through this town, having those that he passed through, passed through the crowds, having them spit on him, having them punch him, throw things at him, push him down. Children would mock because they saw their parents doing it. This is the one who was in the form of God. excruciatingly painful. It was publicly humiliating. He himself, though, the the worst part was that he went to to death obediently, even death, the death of the cross, and he had done nothing wrong. The cross was meant for those who were beyond help. They were beyond hope. And if someone went to the cross, it was because they could not be reformed. The Romans wanted the people to know that these were the worst of the worst. And here's the one, the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God going to a cross and had never committed any crime. Beyond that, it was the wrath that was meant for you and me. I want you to be reminded this Valentine's Day. I hope tomorrow you will get flowers from someone. Chocolates from someone. Maybe a card from someone. But when you do, I want you to be, I want you to have it in a proper perspective. That in light of what Jesus Christ has done, By laying down his life for us. Chocolates and flowers and jewelry 
don't seem like a whole lot. And see, all the husbands in the room just said, thanks, Pastor. Philippians 2 finishes it up and it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that, don't miss those two words, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to thee, don't miss those two words, to the glory of God the Father. We oftentimes want to look at the gospel, we want to look at the cross, we want to look at all of the, the sacrifice that's there, and we want the love to come crashing to an end on us. And by this we do know love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. By this we do know love. But don't kid yourself. It was not to come to an end on you. It was not to come to an end on me. It was so that the name of Jesus would be exalted above every other name. That every knee would bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's about. We see in this love twofold. Love for you and I. And then also... Love for God Himself. God loves God more than anything. It's a hard statement for me to get my my mind around that God loves God more than anything. But if you think about it, what else is worth more than God? What else would you have God love more than God? Would you hold yourself up And compare yourself to God and say, God, you're going to have to choose. It's either me or you. God loves God more than anything and is right to do so. By this, we know love. That he laid down his life for us. Look at the next verse. The next next part of back in 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, that puts it in context. We ought to be like Christ. We ought to have this mind in us. We are not in the form of God. We really have nothing to grasp and hold on to. We come to God and we come to church and we say, Well, what about my rights? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't say, what about my rights? Instead, we, like him, should make ourselves nothing. Emptying ourselves. Taking on the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men because we are men. We should humble ourselves, becoming obedient, even to the point of death, if that's what it takes. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Verse 17 in 1 John chapter 3. But if anyone has the world's goods 
If anybody can say that they have the world's goods, it's us, isn't it? I mean, we complain about the economy, and things aren't what they used to be. Um, we, are, we are still trying to sell our house in Georgia. Many of you have asked about that. Um, we do have a contract on our house. We don't have a closing date as of yet. We just happen to buy our house at the height of the market and trying to sell our house at the depth of the market. But even in that, I can say to, to you tonight that compared with the rest of the world, I know the world's goods. I have the world's goods. Right now, those of us who are in this room, we are richer than 75% of the world's population. Not all of our money combined. Individually, we are richer than 75% of the world's population. Money is not evil. It is to be used as a great tool for the gospel. Those of you, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, we also don't have to look very far to see needs around us. Notice that it says, if anyone sees need. It doesn't say, if anyone sees wants. Yet he closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Maybe a better translation would say something like, yet he shows that his heart is already closed. Because if we who have been loved the way that Christ has loved us and been instructed to love the brothers in that way, if we can look at the needs of brothers and sisters around us, close our heart to that, then it probably is telling us what, for, what John has been trying to tell us throughout this book. That there are those who are genuine believers and there are those who are false believers. Verse 18, he gives two little words at the beginning that are so telling. Verse 18 of 1 John chapter 3, he says, Little children, little children, let us not love in deed or in word only, but let us love with our deeds. Those two little words, though, are important because it shows us that God has so lavished love on us, that's how we know what love is. He's also given us everything that we need and more to live this life and expects us to use those resources to love those around us, but then he lets us off the hook a little bit because he says, little children. He gives us room to grow. We've got a lot of room to grow in this. I have a lot of room to grow in this. I need to grow in my generosity, my loving of the brothers, and so do you. None of us have arrived. None of us know all that there is to know about all of God and His love. Uh, I heard someone the other day um, say that, you know, they, they, didn't, they didn't agree. They didn't agree with that. Something I said. They, they didn't agree with that. And that's okay. You don't have to agree with what I say. But we come to the Word of God... And all of us have to come to the Word of God and say, 
I must agree with this. Because this is the word of God. All of us have a long way to go. Two passages that I'll show you and then we're through. Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans 8, 31 through 39. Great section on love, Romans eight thirty one. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. And this is the one that uh, tonight some high school boy is uh, is inscribing on something to give to, uh, to his sweetheart. 1 Corinthians 13, it's so often taken out of context, so often made to, to be about um, sappy, emotional, gushy love, and it's not. It's the love within the body. It's the love for the brothers that we've talked about. It's the love for the sisters. It's the love of the family of God. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But I have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The only reason we know anything about love is because Christ has first loved us. He laid down his life for us and then instructs those who call themselves his followers to love one another the same way. We're not going to be perfect in it here. We're going to get our eyes off of that and get our eyes onto our own wants. And we will become at times rude and arrogant and prideful. There's coming a day when we will, we will know fully. Even as we have been fully known. For we will be in the presence of love itself. Let's pray together. Jesus, tonight we thank you that you have loved us. Romans 5 tells us that while we were still enemies, you loved us. God, there was nothing in us that caused you to want to love us. It was of your own free choice. God, tonight there's nothing that we could do on the back end, on the receiving end of this love, to repay that. But God, in light of such love, God, I pray that you would love through us. That we would all lay down our own rights Empty ourselves. Make ourselves nothing. In order to serve and to love one another. God, then I pray, as that takes place here, in this faith family. God, I pray that revival would break out. God, that we would see you move in a way that only you could get the credit for. And God, that people outside of this faith family would hear about what's going on here. And it would be true that they would know us as your followers because of our love for one another. Thank you, God, for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great night.